Madness, episode number 37. It was funny, I, uh, I just started re-recording. I got about, uh, about five minutes uh, five minutes into this podcast, and, uh, and I got a text message from uh, another MS warrior named Rob, and, and uh, unfortunately, Rob, I mentioned him on the last podcast. He uh, uh, was in the hospital. He got out. Now he's back again. Uh, so hopefully, Rob, you get better. But anyway, he texted me, uh, and I can imagine why. It's probably pretty boring being in the hospital uh, as much as he's been. And he asked, uh, so when are you recording a new podcast? And so I, I uh, texted him a picture of my microphone and my screen because I'm literally recording it um, as he was texting me. Uh, and I thought because I was only five minutes and I'd, I'd, I'd restart. Um so Rob, get better, and uh, and hopefully we'll have you on the podcast soon. Um, now, the episode today, I want to talk about a number of things. And, and what I'm going to start doing, uh, depending on how you consume this podcast, whether you, you know, you if you're subscribed to it on iTunes or through SoundCloud or Stitcher Radio or Tuned In, um, nothing will really change for you except for the episodes are just going to get longer. Initially, when I started this podcast, uh, you know, the episodes would range from about 40 minutes to over an hour, uh, just depending on what I was talking about. And, and you know, when I uh, uh, agreed to start sending the podcast into the MSME Radio Network, they were asking for 27-minute long episodes. And that's what I've been doing for the last number, well, basically since last summer. Uh, but I find the 27-minute time limit really restrictive, and I feel like... I have to rush near the end to try and get in everything I wanted to say, and I can't really flesh out ideas, um, you know, as much as I'd like. So what I'm going to start doing is just recording them as I, I did prior to MSME, the MSME radio, uh, you know, the association with MSME radio, and I'll just edit them down to 27 minutes and, you know, for the people that are on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, uh, YouTube, that kind of stuff, it'll just be a longer episode. But if you're listening on MSME Radio, uh, this may be part one of a two-part. So, uh, you know, I'll make sure the titles reflect that and, and uh, so it's clear. Uh, but just be aware of that. So uh, I just find, you know, the long form a little bit more freeing and, then, and I'm not as anxious about watching the time and, and that sort of thing. So this episode is going to touch on diet and exercise. And I know I talk about that often, but I think that they're, I think that they're important. And I think they're important for, for everyone's overall health, not just people, uh, you know, afflicted with multiple sclerosis. And how the, you know, the idea for this particular podcast came to me is my wife and I were driving out to one of the local ski hills with our kids uh, two weekends ago. And, you know, my daughter, Isabella, is going to be seven uh, in about a month. And my son is going to be five in about two months, three months. So we were just talking on the way there. We were just, you know, how happy we are that both our kids are really active, you know, Jonah plays hockey, he plays soccer, he's in this activity called sport ball, he just started karate. Um, my daughter Belle, 
uh, is in gymnastics. She's in soccer. She's in. She really loves to downhill ski. Um, so anyway, they're both really, really active kids. And you know, we were just saying how how happy we are that that's happening. And then my wife made a really good point. She said, "Well, as long as they're having fun in the activities that they're doing, because we don't want them to have a negative association with exercise, and we don't want exercise, we don't want exercise and, and fun active activities to feel like a punishment." And that it, it did strike a chord with me, and I remember as a child, you know, when I first started playing hockey, I think I was, oh, probably Jonah's age, so, you know, around four years old, maybe three years old. And all my, you know, the vague memories I have of that time um, was it was a pretty happy time. But, I mean, of course, it's not, it was non-competitive. But as I got older and I, into my, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, and as I was going into my early teens, I started playing competitively. And that all changed. Uh, you know, the pressure changed, the amount of stress changed, the parents really changed. I mean, the parents are pretty awful for the most part. Uh, and I remember it feeling like a punishment. I remember having to go to 6 a.m. practices before school, and it felt like a punishment. I remember training in the summertime and because you have to be able to make certain times in the, in, in the winter and so you have to be able to run you know a certain distance and you know under a certain amount of time and, and I remember that all and I understand what understood where my parents are coming from I mean that you know if they're gonna it was pretty expensive for me to play competitive hockey and to, and to travel and and their feeling was you know that if they're gonna spend all that money on it, then I better put the effort into it. What I didn't realize until I was an adult, I was playing hockey because I thought it made my dad happy. And him and I had a conversation, you know, probably about 10 years ago, where it came out, he only, <laughs> he only agreed to pay for it because he didn't even like going. I didn't know that. He was doing it because he thought it made me happy. And... I avoided playing hockey for a couple of years in my early 20s. I mean, I just had such a bad taste in my mouth from, from it all. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't fun. And it wasn't until after I got diagnosed with MS and, and started walking and the walks slowly came and turned into running. Because I didn't enjoy, certainly didn't enjoy running when I was 260, 270 pounds. But after walking and, and tightening up my diet a little bit and losing a little bit, a little bit of, you know, uh, losing some inches, um, I certainly, and I started running, you know, short runs started being fun. And what I mean short runs, you know, back, this is back almost 10 years ago when I got diagnosed or just after I got diagnosed. Um, you know, a short run would, you know, would be run to run a kilometer, which is, you know, for my American listeners, that's less than a mile. I think it's three quarters of a mile maybe. It would be in that range. And then my runs started to, to go up from there. So, you know, then, then 5K, I remember running my first 5K and thinking I was going to die. So, um, and now a 5K for me is just a warm-up. It's not even, I, it's just whatever. Um, but anyway, but the, my point is I found, I found an activity that I really enjoy. I also really enjoy downhill mountain biking, but unfortunately when the, <laughs> when the gondola takes you to the top of the mountain and you're just rolling down, 
yeah, there's exercise, but it's not. Uh, it's only intense because it's really dangerous, right? I mean, the bike, the, the bike and gravity are doing all the work. Uh, I mean, I would think that, you know, the, the fear uh, certainly burn cal burn, burns calories, but, you know, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy, uh, you know, canoeing and kayaking with my kids and, and, but as far as exercise go, I mean, I, I used to lift weight with weights when I was younger, and I started to again. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm rambling here. Uh, I found some activities that I really enjoy, and they don't feel like a punishment. They don't feel negative. They don't feel I, – I, I enjoy doing them. And, you know, I, I my wife and I were talking the other day, and I told Andrew that uh, uh, I really – in, now that the snow is going away, I'm really looking forward to getting into my, you know, having a one five-hour run on the weekends, which I know sounds insane to a lot of people, but that's just, I mean, it was a slow progression, and eventually you get to that point, and I, um, it's, it's meditative, it's, it's just a really, for me, so anyway, back to my initial point, man, I went on a tangent here, good thing I'm going to a long form. Um, I found something that I enjoy. Now, the issue with people with MS, and we all have such different ranges of mobilities, depending on which type of MS we're experiencing, whether it's relapse or remitting on, on sort of the mild end to the progressive on, on, on the extreme end. So, for some of us in our community, walking isn't even an option. And for others, um, you know, there, you know, there could be lifestyle factors where they just, for whatever reason, exercise just isn't for them. So there's a number of reasons. There's always excuses to why you, you know, you, there's always an excuse to why you're not active. You can invent millions of them. You know, uh, my favorite one that I've heard in the last couple of years was, I'm just not, I'm just not built to run, which is complete. Man, I just looked sore there. Good thing I caught myself. It's complete horse poop. You know, you can, your body's designed to run. It's, you know, anyone can be an athlete. It's just whether or not the desire to be an athlete is, is present. And I'm not suggesting to the, you know, the broader MS community that we all need to be athletes, but I think we all need to be active. And I think the key there is to find something that doesn't feel like a punishment. And I remember uh, my grandfather passed away in 2013 on my mom's side. And he was 92. And I remember one day I went to go visit him at the home he was living at. And I had to wait because he was teaching an exercise class. So I was standing at the door to where this class was. And I thought, and I remember when they told me at the front desk, oh, he's teaching his exercise class. And I thought, what the heck is Pepe doing? Like, I, what, like, what could he, like, what could they possibly be doing? Well, then I went and watched. And, uh, you know, there was a group of them. And he was probably, I mean, if he wasn't the oldest guy in the room, he, was, he, would, he would have been darn close to it. I mean, because he would have been 80, 88 roughly at the time. And they were all seated in chairs, and they were doing seated exercise in chairs, moving their arms, moving their legs, but they were seated. And I asked him about after. He said, well, he says, at my age, that's what I can do. And he says, it's, it's fun. He said, it keeps me moving, and, you know, he lived to 92. So uh, I, I mean, the, I guess the point I'm, I'm, I'm 
attempting to make, probably horribly, but the point I'm trying to make is that regardless of your body size, your body type, uh, the stage of MS you're at, it's likely you can find some sort of activity that where you're moving, where it doesn't feel like a punishment, it doesn't feel negative. And my experience, now going back to my experience with walking and then running short bursts and periods, is I did not enjoy running at all at first. Um, but I didn't do it very, you know, I just would do it short bursts at a time. But as my, but I, I really enjoyed walking. And I was fortunate at the time I was living across the street from uh, the river that ran through the city that, that, I was, that I was living in. And there was really nice paths, and it was just a really nice place to, to walk when it wasn't snowing. Um, but, I, you know, so those walks slowly morphed into runs, which, short runs, which slowly morphed into a 5K, that slowly morphed into a 10K, which slowly morphed into a 21K, and then a 40K, and then a 80K, and so forth and so on. Now, I'm not saying if you have progressive MS and you start doing, you know, chair exercises or seated exercises or whatever you can do, you're going to be running ultra marathon. That's not what I'm saying, but maybe it will be the gateway, you know, uh, for another activity that's a little bit more active and maybe it'll make you feel better. So then, uh, and maybe if you're sort of, you know, in between, you know, really progressive MS and, and relapsing remitting, maybe there's activities that help you and just by you know elevating your mood and 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 your outlook will help you you know go from maybe uh walking to the end of the block and back to walking briskly to the end of the block and back or maybe you know i think you get my point i think i don't think i have to belabor this anymore but um you know so exercise just be it shouldn't be shouldn't feel like a punishment and if you're doing something that you just don't like and you're just doing it because you feel like you need to, i'm not telling you to stop exercising or stopping active but maybe try a different activity uh you know there's a lot of different ways you can get up and move and you know myself personally when i exercise i, I like to exercise to the point where i'm really uncomfortable uh, and what i mean by uncomfortable i mean i push myself so hard i can i can feel it my body's getting uncomfortable i like to push myself really hard uh, you know, for example, I was on the treadmill for an hour yesterday, and I like to crank up the incline as far as it'll go, and I'll do a five-minute run that way, then I bring it down, and then I do it again, and I do it again, and um, by the time I'm done after an hour, my legs are just, like, they're wet noodles, and they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good today. See, I find that enjoyable. I'm not suggesting that most of you would. Um, but it's just finding that thing that, and that way to be active that, um, you know, where you'll keep doing it. So maybe you want to start, I mean, even something like bowling. You know, I don't think anyone would think, you know, you're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to get world cap class shape bowling. But, I mean, if the reality of your situation right now is that you're sedentary most of the time, and when by sedentary I mean seated, or lying down most of the time. And you could bowl. I mean, even going once a week 
uh, would probably have a drastic effect, just on, not even just on your health, but on your outlook on things. So, uh, you know, I mean, you can think of a lot of different things that you could potentially do. I just, uh, I think it's really important. And, and then, so my wife and I drove the kids, we went skiing, which was great. And, but just, and then I was at, when I was at the gym yesterday, which is why I'm recording today, and I, and I was doing that run. This person came on and they got on one of the recumbent bikes. And the pace at which they were working out at um, was comical to me. They were, now this was clearly not a disabled person and it wasn't, clearly wasn't somebody who had, uh, you know, any physical impairments that, it's just, it was the laziest workout I've ever, I ever witnessed in my entire life. And I, and I wondered, what are you, why are you, what, what, what are you, or what are you hoping to achieve? Um, and I think that's the other thing you gotta think about, you know, now, if you're, if you're going to spend the 30, 40, 50 bucks a month on a, on a gym membership, my assumption would be is that you're looking to, you know, cut weight and get abs and, you know, be all cut up and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So why you would work out like it's such a like no pay I wouldn't even call it a pace it was no pace and then this person's phone rang and then they're on the phone and talking loudly and uh, it was just comical to me like I, I don't understand why that person was there so what I was what I was attempting to make the point was have a purpose and your purpose may not be have wanting a six-pack abs or being able to run a marathon or lift 700 pounds or whatever it may just be more active and then just pick an activity that's going to help you be more active. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's something as simple as walking the dog or, uh, you know, I, there's a million different things you could do. Uh, you know, try even golf. It's a, it's a low, it's not, not a strenuous low, but I mean, if you, if you don't get a cart and you walk it and maybe you can only walk nine holes, so you do the nine or whatever it is, just, Getting active, I think, is important, and it's important that it doesn't feel like a punishment to you. It has to be something that you enjoy. And I can't. I don't. I don't know most of the people who listen to this podcast, so I can't tell you what you're going to enjoy. But I would encourage you to to get out there and 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 try. And then, but before you do, and this, I mentioned that some of the stuff early in the podcast was going to make sense later. Or did I? Was that what my, during my first take? I can't remember. Anyway. But before, if you are going to start being more active, and I won't even use the term exercise, I'm just, if you're going to be more active, um, you really need to make sure your diet is in check. And the reason why and I know I've mentioned this, and I know this is, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I know I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but I just, I think it's so vitally important that uh, I wanted to mention it again. And if you're not fueling yourself properly, 
you and that's what eating is you're fueling yourself i mean don't don't you know don't mistake what it is it's it's you're fueling your body if you're not doing that right the results of the activity are not going to be there and how i know this is back in 20 was it 2015 well in 2014 when I got the crazy idea to run 80 kilometers in a day, so that's two marathons back to back on the same day, to raise money for the MS Society. I went online and figured, okay, how do I train myself to run that far? And I got a program and I followed it. Just a random program I found on the net. And I followed it. But the program had nothing, there was nothing about diet. It was just like, you know, do these exercises and run this much and run this much and how to get your volume up and how to learn to run on tired legs. And it was all about the actual physical activity of running and how to increase your endurance. And obviously it worked reasonably well. I was able to do it and raise the money. And so I, in 2015, I ran from Leduc, Alberta to Camarillo, Alberta, which is about 80 kilometers. And the first year it took just under 12 hours. In 2016, I did it again and basically followed the same program. I, I tweaked my day of nutrition and I thought I was eating, eating well. And uh, the second year I ran it in just under nine hours and we raised some more money. And I'm going to be doing another big run next year. I just haven't. I just haven't really had the time to sit down and plan it, but it's going to happen. Anyway, but how this relates to the diet. So in 2015, for the entire year, because of all the training I did and, and, and that, or sorry, was that 20? It must have been 2014. In 2014, because the run was 20, yeah, 20, in 2014, sorry, between April of 2014 and May of 2015, I ran 1,800 kilometers, give or take. And how do I know that? I had the GPS thing on my watch and it tracked it for me. Between May of 2015 and May of 2016, it was another 1,400 kilometers total in training. When I started training for the very first very long run, I was probably about 240 pounds. Then I got down to, for the day of the run, I started the day at 217. I finished the day at 199, but that's, uh, that's a different story for another podcast. Uh, I got extremely dehydrated. It was way hotter that day than we were expecting. Anyway, but anyway, so I, I was about 217 pounds when I started the race, which seems good, right? You lose 23 pounds. But I couldn't get any lower than 220 pounds. And you think running that much, because everyone will tell you, and, and sort of the common thing is, cardio is the way to lose fat. Well, I'm here to tell you, when I ran the first very, really long run, I had lost weight, but as a five foot 10 and a bit, 220 pound guy who's in his late 30s, I was far from thin. I mean, I had a, still had a pretty decent sized stomach on me. And honestly, I anticipated losing far more fat than I, than I did. 
when I started the in in 2016 when I did it, the day of the the morning of the run, I was about 225 pounds. Now think about that. In two years, I ran over 3,000 kilometers in training. Just do the math, right? And, and look at the weekly kilometers I would have to do to run that much. And in your head, you, I mean, if somebody told you, they, you know, they'd run 3,000 kilometers in two years and you'd never met them, when you met them, you would have expecting to see a very, very vascular, like veiny, you know, really cut aerobic type athlete. I still, I mean, I actually went up in weight from the first really long run to the second. And, you know, eating the paleo diet, trying to watch what I ate as much as possible. And I just had thought to myself, well, maybe this is just the way it's going to be. Maybe now that I'm at the time pushing 40, now I'm 41. Um... Maybe this is just the way it is. Maybe I'm just too old, and maybe this is just my genetics, and this is just the way it is. And and because um, I mean, over the years, I've always carried extra weight. I've always carried extra weight. Like that has that has been a, nothing but a constant in my in my life. And I've at times been able to lose some, and it was usually a combination of of exercising, restricting, and restricting calories. The problem when you restrict calories, though, is the second you stop doing it, the weight just comes back. Right? There's, there's never a permanent way to keep it off. So, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it was frustrating because, I mean, running that much, I just imagined that, you know, I'd finally lose my tummy and, you know, we could actually see what I actually look like. And... But anyway, like I said, I just reserve myself to the way it is. That all changed last October. My buddy Paul, who runs the Adidas store in South Edmonton Common, uh, and I were running the Grizzly in Canmore for the second year in a row. And the first year was awesome because Paul, we, they give you nine hours to finish. And what the Grizzly is, it's, it's a 50-kilometer run in the Rocky Mountains. So and I, I, I don't know how many kilometers of elevation there are over the day, but... I mean, you're going up and down a mountain pretty much all day. And they give you nine hours to finish it. And Paul finished, I think, it, I th we have a picture of him crossing the line, and it's like eight hours, 57 minutes. Like he, I mean, they were tearing everything down, but he finished it. And it's, I don't want to make light of the fact that he finished with just enough time. Anyone who finishes that run is a hell of an athlete. I, I don't care what anyone says. Like, that's 50 kilometers. I don't know what that's, about 40 miles. Up and down a mountain, right? Like in an actual, this is the Rocky Mountains, not those things that they call mountains out east, but this is the Rocky Mountains. And anyway, Paul and I were going to be running it for the second time, and Paul's just like me. You know, very active guy, but always carries a little bit, you know, carries extra, extra weight. And I hadn't seen him for, you know, going into the Grizzly last year, so this is October 2017. I hadn't seen Paul since probably late August. You know, you get into September, summer's over, things start happening, and then the, uh, you know, the, the Grizzly was on October 8th, I think. So it had been like a month and a bit since I'd seen, a month and a half probably. 
since the last time I saw him. He was noticeably thinner. Like so much so I just looked at him and I was I so much so that I was like, holy cow, is he sick? Like, you know, you got something you got to tell me. Um, and he didn't look sick. It just, when somebody has that dramatic type of weight loss over such a short period of time, I went, all right, something's up. So I, you know, I said to him, I said, Paul, like, what are you doing? What is it that you're doing? And he explained it to me. And through another friend of his, they, they had told him about the ketogenic diet. And if you have anybody out there, and probably some of you are listeners to the Joe Rogan podcast, I mean, I think it's one of the more pod, popular podcasts in the English-speaking world. Um, it's one of my favorites. You'll hopefully have watched the episodes with Dr. Laura Patrick or Rob Wolf or uh, who are some of the other ones he's had on there to talk about the ketogenic diet. Anyway, he's had a number of people on there. And he explained it to me. And basically, you're trying to get all your calories from fat, which I know the second I say that, there's some people listening around them where they're just like, that is really counterintuitive. Because fat's supposed to be evil, right? So he explained it to me. And I said, okay. The other thing it really restricts and almost pretty much eliminates are carbohydrates. And you're, trying to, you're really trying to limit your sugar. It's impossible to 100% eliminate that stuff, but I mean, like, as much as possible. And people have heard about low-carb diets before, right? So, anyway, he explained it to me. And I'm not going to explain the whole ketogenic... You can look up keto diet or ketogenic diet online. And it, it was eerily similar to something I, I, I had done in my early 20s. Not exactly the same, but it was similar. And I had did experience dramatic weight loss then. It wasn't called the ketogenic diet. It was just, I think at the time I was, you know, I eliminated bread and pasta and a few other things and it made a big difference. Uh, but of course I started eating that stuff again, the weight came back. So I thought, and the one attraction to the ketogenic diet for me was I was still allowed to eat bacon. Not every day, but you know, you're allowed to eat bacon. So I thought, how bad can this be? I mean, chicken wings, bacon, I can do that. And I don't mean to make fun of it or minimize it. I'm just, you know. So you're trying to get all your calories from fat, eh? And he said, okay. So I started I, almost immediately. Like, I think I started after that weekend looking into it. I eliminated carbohydrates. I eliminated uh, sugar and was trying to get more, more uh, of my calories from fat. And lo and behold... When I left the Grizzly, on a, when I left Canmore on October 9th, my waist of my pants was a 38. By December 1st, it was a 34. So I lost four inches off my weight from the second week of October to the first week of December. And beyond, after the, I, I was so, my, I was sore and beat up after running the, uh, the Grizzly. I really didn't exercise at all in that m month and a half. Like, at all. I didn't start ex exercising until January. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. That small alteration in my diet, I lost more inches off my waist and more fat 
in a month and a half not exercising than I did in two years and 3,000 kilometers of training. So back to my initial point that I was trying to make probably 12 minutes ago is that if you're not feeling yourself properly, you're just not going to have the results. It's just, you're not. Now, I know I've mentioned the ketogenic diet. I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast. But what I've also mentioned before on my podcast, and I don't want everybody to run out and think that the ketogenic diet is going to work, make, work wonders for them. I can't make that claim. I can only tell you what it's done for me. Because as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I'm learning more and more about the gut biome and how we're all, we all have different makeups that way. There's no one perfect diet for everyone. And I really believe that with all my heart and all and everything that I'm reading and, and being, been exposed to is really indicating there just isn't one perfect diet. You might not, you may not do well on a ketogenic diet. You may already be a person that can burn carbohydrates and sugars efficiently, right? We're all different. And it comes, there's so many different factors from genetics to age to your gut biome to, and there's probably factors we yet to, we don't even understand yet. So that's important to know. But I think, when I, again, I've mentioned this before, I think what's important to try and discover is like, what is the ideal diet for you and testing out different foods and how do I react to that how do I you know and then what are the signs like for me I can tell now when I've eaten something that's just not good for me I start to bloat almost immediately I'm talking within minutes I can feel that tightness in my stomach and that really full feeling I think and that's you know and the interesting part about that is before I started really altering my and, and finding out about this other, this new diet, this keto diet that really seems to work for me is if I eat something I, I shouldn't, I feel it almost immediately. I, I can just tell. If I have something that has too much sugar in it, I get a headache almost, I almost feel hungover right away. Um, if I eat something like a, a carbohydrate or something, I start to bloat almost right away. And now these foods that I ate my entire life that I used to think I loved, I can't even go near. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really neat how that's worked. And I, I, you know, so back to my point, like if you can fuel yourself properly, you're going to have better results. And I think, you know, you can lose weight by, you know, through exercising. Because really, that's just you're, you're right there. But then, then it's that cal, you know, that calorie type weight loss where you're trying to burn more calories than you take in, and then you combine that with restricting calories. That isn't a long term solution. It's just not. Uh, you know, because you're gonna get hungry. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just as simple as that. Um, but then, but another thing, you know. On, on, the, on, the, on the diet front, another thing I found really, really fascinating this week is when I got diagnosed in 2007 and I came upon the work of Dr. Lauren Cordain and talking about the Paleolithic diet and how it may be a prescription for a lot of the stuff that ails us, you know, because of our current modern diet. 
And that, that paper is available on my website. You can click on it. It's uh, you can download it for free. You know, it's there. Um, and I started eating that way. And, and at the time, no doctor or MS nurse would even discuss diet with me, let alone the paleo diet. Now, it's not my current neurologist. I'm, Dr. Brad's a great guy. I'm not, uh, I'm not commenting on him. It was my first neurologist that I had. Um, diet was a non-factor. Now, my current neurologist is more open to stuff. I mean, but there's still, you know, right? But, so I started on the paleo diet in 2007. And like I've said before on this podcast, I was about 85, 90% of the time you know, and then I ten percent of the time I was eating something that wasn't on it. And you know, I was also on the MS. I've been on the MS meds now since twenty eleven. Uh, and the whole of the while I've been taking vitamin D and and and, that, and then the exercise started late two thousand seven and and into two thousand eight. And I I believe it's all been a factor. And then the keto diet. Uh, a lot of the stuff you're not supposed to eat is on the paleo diet, uh, you know, but just the quantities and proportions and, and things are different, but uh, anyway, but since I switched my, switching my diet in 2007, and then now in the last, well, since October, going on more of a ketogenic style of diet, I've taken nothing but grief, not, not only just from, uh, I'm not talking about just my neurologists, like just doctors in general, and um, or when you're over at people's houses, they're always like, oh, you're one of those. And, and, you know, the comments are made, you're, you know, your diet's this, your diet's that, like, it's crazy. Why can't you eat bread? You're depriving your children, blah, blah, blah. Um, but my dad has been diagnosed as pre-diabetic and they're concerned he's going to become diabetic any, pretty much any day. So my dad's looking at spending his remaining, you know, he's 62, 63. He's looking at spending his remaining years having to give himself insulin injections and being a diabetic and having to take his blood sugar and doing all that stuff. So he went and met, met with his doctor, and this is, this is fascinating to me. She said to him and wrote it on the prescription pad, which I can't share with you because I'm sure that's some sort of conflict. But, but she didn't pre prescribe any medication. She prescribed the, the ketogenic diet. How bizarre is that? Like some, what I've been doing since October, he just got prescribed to ward off his pending diabetes. And I'm not even kidding. I honestly wish I could share that, that uh, prescription. But what she wrote on the pad, and I'll put the links in the description, uh, or on the companion notes to this um, podcast. On the pres prescription pad, she men mentioned a, a, a uh, uh, um, a YouTube video he needed to search by this one doctor who talks about, you know, take the dietary, the government dietary guidelines, pitch them in the bin, and follow this ketogenic diet and you won't, you know, 
And then she was the, and the second thing on the prescription pad was a link to a website that explains the foods you should eat, shouldn't eat with the ketogenic diet. But why, why, why I found this so fascinating is ten years ago, when I sort of entered the mental, the, the you know the healthcare system as an MS patient, diet wasn't talked about, other than you know the Canada Food Guide, eat you know, restrict your calories to X amount a day, uh, eat from these food groups and, and in these proportions, and you should be all good. Right? Anything outside of that, we don't want to talk to you about. Here we are 10 years later, and my dad gets prescribed the diet that I'm already on. And I'm, I'm not pre-diabetic. I hope never be pre-diabetic or have diabetes. But I was just like, wow. And I, you know, when he told me that, I looked at my wife and I said, in my lifetime, I think her, your, your my diet is going to eventually get to the mainstream. Because I think the stuff starting to become undeniable. You know, um, I shouldn't say our diet's going to become mainstream, but finding optimal diets for people is going to become mainstream. And it's just going to be understood. And, you're, and I'm already seeing it. I mean, when my wife and I met in 2009, because she eats a very similar diet to me in terms of the paleo diet uh, because she has asthma and she hasn't used her inhaler in years. But when she goes back to, you know, dairy and gluten and soy and all that other stuff, all of a sudden she has to start using her puffer again. None of this stuff's been proven, but this is what's been working for her. So anecdotally, she, I mean, I can tell you that's what's been working for her. Uh, I'm not recommending people put down their puffers if they have asthma. That's not what I'm saying. I'm also not saying that necessarily these diets would do the same thing for your asthma. Again, because everyone's different and has different reactions. But I just find it neat that it's finally starting to permeate the healthcare system. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's nice and it's, it's fascinating and, and I am more of a, I've always been a big believer in, in diet's role in, in our, with, with, with multiple sclerosis. I'm more of a, I mean, you know, I'm even more of a believer now because to lose four inches off my waist and I wasn't even exercising when I just finished running 3,000 kilometers, like it's just like, you can't even imagine it will look through my head. Like everything I've been told is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's garbage. And on, on that point, in the, in the description for this podcast episode on multiplesclerosis.com, I'm going to leave a link in the, the episode notes to a New York Times article that came out a couple years ago that I was unaware of until just recently. And this investigative report by the New York Times found that in the 50s, they were already making links between sugar and heart disease and cancer and all these different things. What did the sugar industry do? They paid several researchers at big universities a lot of money to publish reports 
to put the blame on fat. And what's happened? Fat got demonized. So all this low-fat food and know this, know that, don't eat fat, fat makes you fat, it's a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of propaganda that's been proven. I mean, you can, you'll, you can read the, the Times article yourself. Don't take it from me. Do it yourself. Read it yourself. Where they demonize fat. Wrongly. Because, you know, in our corporate world, this, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. You know, the sugar industry realized, well, <laughs> this is going to get pinned on us, so let's get out ahead of this thing. Let's make sure, let's pin it on them. So now I realize I don't actually know very much about diet at all. All I can tell you is what I've figured out for myself. And, and then I think that's something that any individual, whether they have MS or not, has to figure out for themselves. Um, but the entire time, as I'm losing, I mean, the entire time has been losing inches off my waist. I'm eating bacon, chicken wings, right? Obviously, with none of that extra other stuff in it that I, you know, lots of green leafy vegetables, a lot of cabbage, a lot of, uh, I'm eating great food, right? I'm just not having any pasta, any bread, any cookies, any, uh, you know, go down the list. Um, and I was still able to indulge a couple times a week to go to Starbucks and have myself a, a chai latte with almond milk, right? Like, you know. So, take, I mean, I'm just telling you. And, and, and on the note of my, you know, losing four inches, uh, my size 34 pants that I have, because I had to buy a pair because all my clothes are too big, they're starting to get loose. I think I'm going to go down to a 32 here in the next month or two. Can you imagine? 3,000 kilometers. I couldn't get off a size 38. I sit around, eat bacon and cabbage for a few months, and I've lost six, I'm almost six inches off my waist. It's insane. And I've been eating fat. I don't count calories. I don't, no idea. I don't even worry about it. I used to have an app on my phone to try and count calories. I wouldn't go over a certain amount every day. Um, I used to sit there and scan the UPC labels into this app. And it worked great. The app worked great. But the problem is it, it, it was starting from the premise that it was based on it was wrong. So I'm scanning these, you know, UPC codes to get the calorie count. And they have to roughly figure, okay, that's roughly a cup. Okay, that's probably, you know, X amount of calories. Okay, I don't want to go over this. Like, oh, what a nightmare. I don't know. I just eat, I eat when I'm hungry right now. But I've realized as long as I eat the right food for my system, it just doesn't matter. You know, but what I can tell you, though, Doritos, not the right food for anyone. McDonald's, not the right food for anyone. Uh... If it won't rot, probably shouldn't be eating it. If you're buying it at a seven, if you're buying it at a gas station or a Seven Eleven, you probably shouldn't eat it. Uh, you know, the heavily processed food. If it's got if it's got more than a couple of ingredients and you can't pronounce them, you probably shouldn't be eating it. Uh, those are some guidelines I could say that I've learned. And I think those would apply to everyone. I think the heavily processed stuff, you shouldn't eat. I mean, if it can sit in a box in your pantry for months on end, you know, that's a pretty good indicator you shouldn't be putting it in your body. Um, 
I could be wrong. I could be wrong. You know, I, I accept it if I'm, you know, if I am. But with the results I've had, and 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 basically, you know, I can, I can prove that I ran that far, and that much over two years, and how little weight that I lost, versus what I've done since October of 2017, and you would have thought the reverse. Honestly, you would have thought the reverse. So on that note, I'm going to announce that I'm going to be starting. I'm, I, this podcast will continue, but I am going to be starting another podcast here, hopefully in the next month. And it's going to be called Losing Weight, Eating Bacon. And it's not going to have anything to do with MS. It's just going to talk about, uh, you know, it's going to be focused pretty much solely on diet and exercise. And it'll be a limited run. It, it won't be... A, uh, a, a, you know, a podcast. Well, maybe I, I shouldn't, you know, never say never. But the plan right now is to have it be, you know, a thirty-six episode run. And what, how the podcast is structured is, is a good friend of mine, and he was the best. We were the best man, man in each other's wedding, weddings. I've been concerned about him for the last couple of years, and Dan's probably five eight or five nine. And he's packing on, he's packing way too much weight. Uh, and the and the thing that was alarming for me is, you know, he was telling me, well, it's been a while now, but he got a sleep apnea machine. Now, some people just need them. But for most people, the reason why they need them is their necks get so fat that it puts your, I can't remember what the, basically it puts your neck in a position that causes you to snore like a, you know, like a freight train. And to not get enough air as you're sleeping, right? Which has its own dangers. Well, instead of the stupid machine, why don't you just lose the neck fat? And also, you know, Danny has a young family. Uh, his kids are younger than mine. And I know he wants to be an active, awesome hockey dad. And I think I, and I, think, I think I can help. So... The podcast that is the you know I lost weight be I lost weight eating bacon is going to be around. It's gonna be Dan and myself on the podcast, and I'm gonna start him on my eating plan, and we're gonna to have to tweak it because again, he, I have a sneaking suspicion his system is very 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 similar to mine. Um, but we may have to tweak it right to see what works for him, what doesn't work for him, and it's gonna be a ketogenic like diet. The other big thing, you know, and then each episode we're going to be tracking his prog progress, what worked, didn't work. And when I was texting with him the other day, you know, coming up with this idea for this thing, uh, one of the things that, and this goes back to something I said earlier in this podcast, is I don't want to focus on exercise right away. And what I said to him, there's no point in building a house if the foundation is blank, I used a stronger word. So if the foundation's no good, there's no point in building the house. And the foundation is your diet. You know, weight loss, I've realized it's probably 90%. Not how much you're eating, it's what you're eating. Um, you know, can your, does your, is your system optimally fueled by those things? So for the first few episodes, we're going to be talking about strictly diet as we kind of get, I, as I, acclimate Dan to the way I eat and, and start tweaking it for him in his, in his life. And then we'll start adding 
you know, some activity. But again, as I was talking about, this is how this all ties together in this one podcast. Dan's going to have to find some stuff that he enjoys doing. And I'm going to really stress them. I don't want him to run marathons unless he wants to run marathons. That's, that's not the point of this. The activity could be three times a week, you know, uh, and it can be things that he enjoys. So we'll, we'll, we'll focus on that. But initially it's going to be around the diet and getting it tweaked. And uh, I'm even going to take, go through the cookware he uses. And, I, you know, if there's a lot of non-stick, stick, non-stick pans in his kitchen, we're going to be pitching them. He, he doesn't, he'll, he'll listen to this and he'll find it out. Um, and I'll explain to you why, you know, as we go along. And if you're interested in that podcast, when the first int- episode gets released, I will update via this podcast. And as I mentioned, this, this one will keep going. Uh, there'll just be longer episodes now unless you're uh, listening on MSME Radio. In which case, there'll be two-parters. So anyway, that wraps it up for me this time. Uh, Once again, Rob, I hope you're uh, getting better, bud. Hope to have you on the podcast real soon. And I I should also mention uh, MS Buddy uh, from Healthline. It's an app you can download on Google or Android. And it's a way to connect with other MS warriors around the globe. It's free. It's confidential. And I, you know, I think it would be really great. I think it's really great for people who are newly diagnosed um, to connect with other people because you probably feel pretty lonely right now and pretty like, what the hell do I do now? You know, I think it's nice to have other, other people that are going through the same struggles as you accessible. And if you're an introvert like me, that may be the way to go. So it's MS Buddy. Look for it on the Apple, or sorry, the iTunes store and the, and the Android store. If you want to see the New York Times article I mentioned or any other links that I said I might mention in this episode, head on over to ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's O-W-N, multiplesclerosis.com. You can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes. As always, if you can listen to the YEGMS podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Tuned In, and the MSME Radio Network. You can find me, you can find the Own Multiple Sclerosis Facebook page. You just type in Own Multiple Sclerosis into Facebook. If you do send me a message through Facebook, it could be up to a month before I respond. Uh, even before all this privacy stuff, I really didn't use Facebook. Uh, mostly because I really don't care what people had for breakfast in the morning. I don't need to see pictures of it. Um, you know, I hope everyone's doing well, but... I don't need updates of every time somebody burps or breathes. Uh, it was just... And the other thing is, you find out a lot of the people you know are crazy. And I got my own bucket of crazy, but I decide I just choose not to publicize it. Or maybe I do through this podcast. I don't know. But yeah, I'm not a big Facebook user, so if you do hit me up through the web, uh, through the Facebook page, or yeah, through the Facebook page for all multiple sclerosis, I'll, I will eventually respond, but it may take a while. Uh, I don't log in very often. The best way to get a hold of me, if you want to be a guest on the show, you have questions, comments, good or bad, you can send an email to Sean, S-E-A-N, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. Once again, that is O-W-N, multiplesclerosis.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or 
tweet at me at ownms.com1. Dot com one that's o w n m s dot com one uh, i think that's all the stuff i have to mention robbie get better buddy